0: Jesus. Famous, famous, famous. It's an adjective describing the reality of one. we Show our cities who Jesus Jesus really is. And as his ambassadors, all we gotta do is help him look better, you know, be better stewards of his public Public relations. relations. everybody. Welcome uh, to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad that you're here. Uh, welcome those of you who are worshiping at the Aurora Campus or at Highland Square or at Restoration Chapel or just tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right. See, you survived the Arctic blast of this week where it was uh, wind chill like minus 28 and now spring is here. Uh, that only happens in Ohio, right? A 60-degree swing. But we're glad that you're here. We spent the month of January kind of casting a vision uh, for what we're going to do this year. And in 2019, we want to make Jesus famous. Make Jesus famous. The last three weeks, we talked about how. How we're going to make Jesus famous. We talked about going in concentric circles. We started about talking, uh, we started about a beginning in your family at home, making Jesus famous at home in front of the people who God has put right in front of you. Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to Jesus about them. The next circle was our community. And we said that the community starts with the one. We're all going to be praying for the one person that we want to introduce to Jesus this year. We also talked about our community consisting of groups. We all belong to different groups at work or play groups or study groups or teammates or golf buddies. We all have different groups, and we want to try to make Jesus famous to those groups. And our community also includes the city. And so we uh, launched uh, a website called Transform Summit NEO, and it's our best way to try to connect you with our ministry partners in the city so you can see their prayer requests and what they need and how you can help and what you can do this year. Then last week, we uh, unveiled Orchard NEO, which is our strategy to move the needle in northeast Ohio, to make Jesus famous in northeast Ohio by planting churches in neighborhoods that do not have a gospel-teaching, gospel-preaching church. And I love the way this year has started. I love the way you guys have responded. You always respond in a wonderful way. So this week we uh, start a new series, a four-week series we are calling Christianity Famous or Infamous. And the idea behind this series, we want to do it early on this year, is because uh, when we think about making Jesus famous, we need to be careful. Because as Christians, Christianity has had kind of a spotted past if you don't know, that when we try to make Jesus famous, sometimes we make these terrible mistakes. And instead of making him famous, it seems like we become infamous in the process. And Unless we recognize what we've done in the past, we may make the same mistake going forward this year. Now, the Crusaders in the 10th, 11th, and 12th century uh, thought they were making Jesus famous. It all seemed like a good idea at the time. But now every time someone mentions the Crusades, we wince. You have the Spanish Inquisition of the 16th century. In the Spanish Inquisition, there were 150,000 people who were prosecuted. Up to 5,000 people were executed because they did not agree with the church. And they were tried and executed as heretics. You have the Salem witch trials, we are full of different things. And this is Uh, February, Black History Month here in the U.S., so we cannot ignore the fact that our country, founded on Christian principles and ideas and full of Christians at the time of our founding, sowed the institution of slavery right into the fabric of our flag. That led to Jim Crow laws and segregation, both outside and even inside the church. So we have infamy uh, all throughout Christian history. And how do we avoid that? I'm a believer in Christianity. I'm a believer in the church. I'm pro-church. I think we have done some amazing things as well. But I want us to be careful. So that's why we're doing this series. So this week we're going to talk about equality. Us versus them. Next week we're going to talk about judgmental or merciful. How to be right in a culture gone wrong. The week after that, the third week, we're going to talk about justice or injustice. How do we fight the good fight? And then finally, the last week in February, we're going to talk about uh, Christianity, good or bad for the world. And it's going to be a Micah 6-8 weekend, and all the offering that week is going to go toward healing some of the brokenness in our very community. All right? (laughs) Should be fun. It's going to be a fun month. All right, let's talk about it, us versus them. Let me uh, start by reading two verses uh, one from Galatians and one from uh, Colossians. And uh, these verses were absolutely revolutionary at the time of the writing. In fact, um, it just would blow people's minds to hear Paul say this. This is, uh, let me read Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 to start with. It says this. There is the, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or a female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Then Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. The thing that would blow people's minds is that each one of those couplets that Paul would write about were either hostile toward each other or they were considered unequal in the culture. Paul was introducing Christianity as the the most amazing. Nobody had ever talked about that kind of unity, that kind of equality. The question is, what happened? How could Christians read that? and then segregate a population away. How could Christians read that and say black people need to sit in the balcony or black people can't come in at all? What happened? There are three points that I want to make today. Uh, One is the problem. One is the lesson. And then finally, the shepherd. The problem. The problem of us versus them. The problem of us versus them. The lesson of Jonah. And then finally, the shepherd, which is the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. All right, first, let's talk about the problem. Us versus them. Us versus them isn't necessarily a problem. Uh, Finding out uh, who you're not is part of finding out who you are. It can just be, you know, recognizing the differences in people uh, is part of what makes us unique. It can be a good thing. Let's just I'll just do a little experiment here. If you are a man and you are sporting facial hair, would you stand up? If you're clean shaven, stay seated. Okay. Congratulations, you guys. All right, you guys can be seated. See? No big thing there. Super Bowl weekend. All right, it's the LA Rams versus the New England Patriots. I was going to have you know the people who care about who wins stand, but I know nobody cares <laughs> who wins that game. But here's that: if you are uh, if you will watch that game and you are more interested in the commercials than the actual game, would you stand up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it. All right, thanks. You can be seated. Us versus them is not a problem. It can be a very positive thing. It can be a fun thing. Us versus them becomes a problem when we use it to diminish someone else, to make them less than we are. That's when it becomes a problem. I just read this book. It's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. It's a very hard book to read because it's the history of racism in our country, but also in the church. And as I was reading it, I mean, there are a bunch of really, really bad things. But one of the worst things, I thought, was what was called the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787. 1787 was 11 years after the Declaration of Independence, where we declared all men were created equal. And then, uh, you know, we had the southern states, which had slaves, and the northern states that didn't. And uh, they were trying to figure out how they were going to tax the states. And so they were trying to figure out how they were going to count people. So the more people that you had, the more your tax burden. But the more people you had, the greater your representation in the federal government. So the South had slaves, and if they counted all the slaves, they would have a greater tax burden, and the North wanted the taxes. But if the South counted all the slaves, then they would have greater representation in the federal government, and the North didn't want that. so they they met and they compromised. They called it the three-fifths compromise. Three-fifths compromise was where they they would count three out of every five black people as human beings. Essentially, making every black person in America at the time worth three-fifths of a white person. Horrible, right? Horrible thing to do. To make anyone a fraction of a human being, right, I think we could all agree on that, but it's also one of the easiest, and maybe one of the only ways to feel better about yourself, is to make someone else a fraction, because you can't make yourself more than hundred percent. I had a great high school basketball coach when I was a senior in high school. And I remember one of the things that he told us was this. He said, I will never ask you for any more than 100%. (laughs) He said, uh, coaches who ask for 110%, 150%, they're talking nonsense. That's what he said. Because all you can give is 100%. There's no more than 100%. So that's what I'm going to ask for. So you can't make yourself feel more than 100% human. But if you can make someone else feel less, or you can make them less in your mind than 100%, then... Of course, 100% feels much better. Hillary Clinton, uh, during the election of a couple of years ago, uh, became infamous for uh, calling a bunch of people deplorables and putting them in a bucket. She called it the bucket of deplorables. And the people who felt like they were diminished, who were put in the bucket, what they did is they pulled themselves out of the bucket and then they put Hillary in, right? <laughs> And that's what we do. It happens on a weekly basis with President Trump. He puts different groups in the deplorable bucket and then they pull themselves out and they put him in. It's harder than it seems, by the way, to not diminish other people. It's harder than it seems. I mean, it is absolutely racist to take a group of people, make them less than human, Right, to give, make them a fraction and put them in the bucket. But if you're not a racist, let me ask you this. What do you do with racists? Are they still 100 percenters? Or are they in the bucket? Are they just a little bit less than what you are? Right? We have this problem at the southern border right now. We have a bunch of people who want to get into this country. And there are those people who look at those people who are outside of the border, and whether they really will admit it or not, they look at them as being less than what they are, and so they think of them as less than humans, so they fractionalize them. They are three-fifthing them. And then there are those who see them as 100 percenters, as human beings much like they are, and they... They are filled with compassion, and they will fight for them, and they feel like they are moving like Jesus toward them. And if you are one of those people, I am really glad that you are one of those people. But let me ask you this. What do you do with the people who want to build a wall as high and as fast as possible and who treat them as less? Are they still 100 percenters, you see? It's really hard to not hate the haters. It's really hard not to be racist toward the racists. It's just hard, but Christians are supposed to be different, aren't we? You know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this in Matthew chapter 5, You've heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In that passage, Jesus is saying, don't just love the people who look like you, talk like you, vote like you. He's not even just saying, <laughs> he's not just saying, love the people who don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't vote like you. What he's saying is, love the people who hate you. Love the people who hate what you love, who love what you hate. Love the people who are hostile toward you. Love the people who put you in the bucket, because if you don't love them, then you will put them in the bucket, and you will be just like them. Jesus is trying to save us from ourselves. I looked it up. You know, there are supposed to be, there are 200 million Americans who identify as Christians. Can you imagine what our country would be like if there were 200 million people who loved their enemies the way Jesus tells us to? Social media would just dry up, blow away. This is the problem. The problem is that the three-fifths compromise is not something of the past. It's something that happens now. Three-fifths compromise is something that happens in your heart and in mine. That's the problem. Okay, now we get to the lesson. <clears throat> uh, the lesson of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is a tiny little book tucked away in the Old Testament, and no one would ever even read the book if it wasn't for the big fish that actually swallowed Jonah. So everybody knows of the book. And uh, let me just tell you, I'm going to go through the story, I have, I, and then I'm going to get to the one thing I've written in the margin of my Bible in Jonah. You know, I, I just write every once in a while in the margin of my Bible. All right, so Jonah was a prophet, which meant that he was employed by God. And God told him to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, and preach. And uh, Nineveh uh, and Assyrians were were known for being very, very cruel to the Israelites. They had done some horrible things. Uh, Not just like diminish them, they had done... Terrible, terrible things. And so Jonah, uh, he didn't want to go because he felt like uh, because of the way these people had been that God was almost up to here with them and he wanted them to get what they deserved. I don't know if you've ever felt that. If you've ever felt like you just want somebody to just get what they deserve, right? That's what Jonah felt. And so Jonah wanted to to not preach to them because he wanted them to stay far away from God. And so uh, if Nineveh's over here, Jonah went down to a port city called Joppa, and he caught a ship going to Tarshish, which was this way. So he was trying to get as far away from Nineveh and as far away from God as he could. All right, so let me speed up the story, and then I'll get to the point. So he's on this ship to Tarshish, big storm, gets thrown overboard, fish, fish, comes, swallows him whole, vomits him up on shore, long walk to Nineveh, lots of thinking, short little sermon, big revival, and then the story ends with Jonah still being upset about God's love for the Ninevites, right? Now, this is what I wrote in the margin of my Bible. You know, I only write when I feel like uh, there's something very odd, or I feel like I've found the key to the whole thing. This is in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. This is the verse. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And in the margin, this is what I wrote. Jonah got in the same boat. (laughs) That was my big... Jonah got in the same boat. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because the Ninevites were far away from God. Jonah decided to try to get far away from God. So he gets in a boat with a bunch of pagans, and he's literally in the same boat. What Jonah did was he decided... Because of the way he felt toward the Ninevites, he ended up becoming just like the Ninevites. That's what happened to him. He became a Ninevite without even knowing it. You can be, when you become a hater of haters, when you become a racist to racist, when you become a, a sinner to sinners, you become just like them. Right? And the lesson of Jonah is that Jonah became just like the people that He hated. Right? And that's what can happen to all of us. That we become what we detest. And that's what happened to Jonah. So that's the lesson of Jonah. And now we finally get to the shepherd. The, The grace of Jesus. John chapter 10, uh, Jesus talks about being a good shepherd. And he says to the people, I am the good shepherd, and you are the sheep. And the thing that struck me right away is that uh, Jesus separates himself from a normal human being. Like, he says, You all are sheep, but I'm a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So Jesus made himself completely different. But he told them that they were sheep. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. And the thing that struck me in that whole thing is that you know the the sheep were all sheep. And, And when somebody, when Jesus became the good shepherd to a sheep, the sheep stayed a sheep. (laughs) <laughs> that was my big epiphany this week. It was a slow week. Right. But this is what I mean. You know, there, there's that fairy tale about the, the frog and the princess uh, where, you know, a, a prince gets turned into a frog from some evil spell. And the only way to break the spell is for a princess to kiss him. And so finally a princess comes along and kisses the frog and poof, you know, that. The frog becomes the prince again. That doesn't happen in John chapter ten. In John chapter ten, when a sheep comes, when when the good shepherd takes a sheep, the sheep stays a sheep. Well, what happens when when Jesus becomes your shepherd? You don't become a prince or a princess. You are still a sheep. Right, and there there are two things that happen when Jesus becomes your shepherd. One is that the grace of Jesus comes into you, and the second thing that happens is the grace of Jesus, you become a conduit of the grace of Jesus through you, okay? Two things happen when Jesus becomes your shepherd. The grace of Jesus comes in you, and then you become a conduit for the grace of Jesus to go through you and out of you, one of the ways you can tell how much grace is in you is how much grace comes out of you, right? So, the grace of Jesus in you is this. In John chapter 10, the sheep don't pick the shepherd. There is nothing unusual about the sheep. Jesus doesn't say, you know, I was looking at all you sheep, and there's, you know, there, there are some of you that are really sharp sheep. And so I want you, or there are some of you that look like you're going to be world-changing sheep. No sheep are just sheep. You know, I, I read somewhere where sheep <laughs> sheep are so stupid, that when it rains and they have, they have, their wool is really like full, they haven't been shorn yet, that they will get scared in a thunderstorm, and their wool's all wet, but they will be scared and they'll stick their faces. In other sheep's wool, and they'll drown. So, one of the things that a shepherd has to do in a thunderstorm is go around pulling sheep's faces out of other sheep's wool because they're so stupid, right? Jesus could have picked different animals to <laughs> compare us to, he chose sheep for a reason. But the shepherd in John chapter 10 does something that is almost incomprehensible. That's what it says. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The grace of Jesus for you is that while you were a sheep, Jesus gave his life for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? In 1 Corinthians, Paul the apostle, who before he met Jesus, three-fifth people all the time, once he meets Jesus in 1 Corinthians, he says this. You know what? I don't care what really you think of me anymore. I don't even care what I think of me. The only one I care about is what Jesus thinks of me. And Jesus loved me when I was still his enemy. That's what it means to have the grace of Jesus in you. And then if, if Jesus is your shepherd, that means the grace of Jesus is flowing Out of you to others. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount. How does anybody learn to love their enemies? How do we not make not become racist to racist? How do we not sin against sinners? How do we not hate the haters? And the answer is we remind ourselves that we are just sheep. Jesus didn't turn us into princes and princesses. You're still a sheep. You just have a shepherd who, when you were far away from him, when you were his enemy, he loved you and gave himself for you. So when you see somebody who's far away or who's different from you or you think is less than you, you remind yourself that you are a sheep. You're still in the same boat. It should remind you of you. Right? That's the thing. So whenever you begin to think about diminishing someone, whenever it starts to happen... You need to remind yourself that grace is almost like this water bottle where if if grace is not flowing out of you, if you begin to to diminish other people to feel good about yourself, then you need to to go back to grace and drink deeply of the grace of Jesus so it will flow through you to others. All right. We're going to do two things uh, this month to try to help us. And uh, these are the two things. The first is... um, We're calling it the 21 Day Prayer Initiative, and we have these booklets out in the atrium. And the 21 Day Prayer Initiative is that uh, we're wanting 2,100 people to pray 21 days in February, and then on February 24th, I think we're gonna gather together for a night of worship to kind of end this 21 day. And the, The 21 Day Prayer Initiative is all about racial reconciliation in our country. So it's uh, the first seven days will have to do with, with confession, and then the next seven days has to do what God has done for us, and then the last seven days is what God wants to do through us. So I want you to pick up one of these and just commit yourself to praying every day for 21 days, just that God would begin to heal uh, what has happened in our country. And the other thing is this, and this is going to be a little bit harder to explain uh, this is the famous or infamous challenge. It's a little card like this, and you hopefully got one on your way in, or you can get one on the way out. You know, we, at Christmas, we do the Just Because cards where we try to do something nice for somebody, and we hand them a card. And that's what I was thinking of with this card, but I don't, I don't want you to give it away. Um, I want you to, during the 21-day prayer initiative, I want you to be praying about what God wants you to do regarding uh, kind of going, going over barriers that are racial barriers or cultural barriers that you have stayed behind, where you've stayed safe before. And I want you to try to do something to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem of what's going on in our country and in people. So I I don't know exactly what God will want you to do. It might be that he will want you to read a book like I did for Black History Month so you can understand more about what other people are going through. It might be that you're to ask somebody for coffee or invite them to your home just to find out who they are and what their life is like. It might be for you to begin to pray for somebody at the office or something like that, but this is what I want you to do. Once you have done whatever you feel like God wants you to do to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem, to show love for somebody who is different than you, then I want you to bring this back to church and I want you to put it in the offering plate. That's it. I want you to keep this with you until you actually do the challenge. And I want you to bring it back, put it in the offering plate. You don't have to put your name or anything like that. I just want to, every week throughout February, I'm going to be announcing how many people, or how many of these cards were turned in, and how many people at Christ Community Chapel did the challenge to try in the month of February to do something that would heal the wound that we have been part of in Christianity, famous or infamous. Because this year, we want to make Jesus famous. We want to make Jesus famous. And so it starts with us. And instead of having us versus them where we diminish people, we want to be us and them unified together with the shepherd. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you and uh, we did nothing to deserve your love for us and yet you have loved us. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will uh, forgive us uh, whenever we have diminished anyone, whenever we have made someone a fraction, when we have 3 anybody because you decided to love us when we were still your enemies. I pray that you would fill us with grace and that grace would become evident and flow out of us to other people. And I pray that you would heal this land and help us to be part of that healing. Thank you. We love you. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.